Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously or freely give us all things? I want to get immediately to my purpose this morning. I don't have time to linger and loiter on non-essentials. The verse before us that we just read, we dealt with last week, clearly shows that God the Father did not spare His own Son. Not an adopted Son like we are if we're Christians. Fullness of deity dwells in this Son. The radiance of the glory of God beams from the face of this Son. He's a special one. He's a unique one. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think you're all... That's pretty straightforward. You all realize who's being talked about here. This is the God-man. A Son like no other. The Father did not spare Him. Him who knew no sin, God the Father did not spare Him from becoming sin. God did not spare him from drinking the cup of wrath. God did not spare him from the death deserved by sin. God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. I need to ask you a question. Who did God do this for? In other words, who did Christ suffer and die for? Now be careful here. Be very careful how you answer that question. How you answer that question shows whether or not you really understand Romans 8.32. Because if you give the wrong answer to that question, question, you actually deny Romans 8.32. And if you deny it, you take one of the greatest arguments ever given for the security and confidence and assurance of the believer and you throw it right out the window. And I know none of you wants to do that. So let me give you the question again. Who did Jesus Christ suffer and die for? Who did God the Father give Jesus Christ up for? Look at the verse. You're all going to need to keep your Bibles open and, and keep your faces in. A lot of this is going to be Bible study today. Not the first, first part of this. Look at verse Romans 8.32. There's certainly no obscurity of language here. The text plainly says, God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Now, look. Most of you know as well as I do. That if we went out that door right now, we went down to the corner of Houston and Hackberry. We talked to some of the guys standing down there. Some of the ladies standing down there. We said, who did Jesus Christ die for? They would say, for us all. And then if you got back in your car and you went to the biggest church downtown, First Baptist Church, and you went in there and you asked the people, 
Do you shout it out in the middle of their service right now? Who did Jesus Christ die for? They'd look at you and they'd say, this whacked out guy, he died for us all. You jump in your car there and you head over to Walmart at the ball game. You ask the same question. You're going to get the same answer. They're going to tell you that. Who did Jesus Christ die for? For us all. Almost unanimously, people are going to say that for us all. Would they not? I mean, come on, would they? Of course they would. But the question is this. Would they be right? Someone here, <laughs> someone here might be saying to themselves, not that answer. They might be saying, well, of course they would be right. Isn't that exactly what Paul says in the verse we're looking at? Doesn't he say God gave him up for us all? If someone says Jesus died for us all and Romans 8.32 says God gave him up for us all, then wouldn't someone be right in saying so? So, there you have it. End of sermon. Jesus Christ died for all. That answers the question. We close our Bibles. We can all go home. Matter settled. We don't need any further discussion, right? <laughs> Wrong. Now listen to me carefully. And yet we have visitors in here today that might not even be familiar with what I'm saying right now. So I want you to listen very carefully. It is possible to say something that sounds right and be wrong. The way that's possible is because it's possible to say even what the Bible says, but in your saying it, you don't actually mean what the Bible means when it says what it says. You see what I'm saying? In other words, just quoting Scripture doesn't necessarily make you right unless the Scripture you quote, you intend to mean the way God means it. Knowing what the Bible says is critical. But knowing what it means by what it says is more essential yet. So the question is, how should we understand Paul when he says God gave His Son up for us all? It is definitely biblical to say this, but what does Paul mean by that? Does he want us to understand that Jesus died for all men, every single person in this world without distinction, or does he intend for us to understand that Jesus died for all of us who belong to a certain group of men? When it's time for dinner, I say, Mom just cooked dinner for us all. I don't mean that Ruby just cooked dinner for the whole world. I'm talking about all of us who belong to that certain group that I have in mind when I say that. My family. What is the group of people Paul has in mind when he says God gave His Son up for us all? Is it all humanity without exception? Or is it a more limited group of people that Paul has in mind? Now brethren, listen to me. This is no small matter. Because who Jesus Christ died for has everything to do with why He died for them and what was accomplished when He died for them. That's a big deal. But I'll get back to that in a few minutes. I have two main points, and I'm done. Both points are questions. Paul has someone in mind in verse 32 when he says God gave him up for us all. The first point, the first question is, who did the Father give His own Son to die for? Who are the us in verse 32? The second point and second question is, why does it matter? 
Why does it matter who God gave His Son up for? So here we go, brethren. No, no, look. I'll tell you right at the beginning here. I am not trying to insult anybody's intelligence level. I know what I'm going to say is very simple. It's basic stuff. But it's necessary that we all see this. Because a lot of people say a lot of things about the Bible that if they just read their Bible, they would realize, oh, well, maybe that's not right. Maybe the Bible actually intends something different than what I thought. So, let's tackle this first question. Who did the Father give His own Son to die for? Verse 32 says, for us all. So whoever this us is, those are exactly the ones God did not spare His own Son for. Okay? So, who are these most privileged people called us? I can tell you this right off. I know one person who fits in that group. Right? Us is a personal pronoun. Personal plural pronoun. I mean, one thing we know right off is Paul includes himself in this group. So, we know for certain he's in there. But who else is in this group? Us is plural. So we, mo- we know there's more than just Paul here. Well, I want you guys to head back a little bit to Romans 4 for just a moment. In the first three verses, Romans 4, we get a good feel there for the thrust of the chapter. Paul is arguing that Abraham was not justified before God by any works or good deeds that he himself did. Now look, if you're visiting with us today, I want you to see something clearly. What God says in His Word matters. These are the words of life. And look, there's only one way to life. And if you're not on that way, you're in, you're, you're in the most serious trouble you can imagine. I want you guys to see something. In Romans chapter 4, Paul's identifying who the us are. You know what he says there? He says in the first three verses, We've got this guy, Abraham. This guy, Abraham, was, had something happen to him called justification. What's that? I mean, that sounds like this fancy religious word. Justification. What does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. It's, you've got to have it. You've got to have it or you're in trouble. It may seem like a great, big, huge word, but if you don't have it, you're on your way to hell. It's that important. Your eternal life rests on that word. Justification. You say, I'm not interested in it. Sounds like a bit religious word. It's not practical. It's not relevant to my life. I'm telling you it is. It's relevant to every man's life. We talked about northern India. It's relevant to their lives. It's relevant to your life if you're in Corpus or you're right here. If you don't have it, you perish. So whatever it is, it's essential. And what Paul's telling us is there's this guy who lived a long time ago, Abraham. You say, I don't care about Abraham. I got a family today. I got a job today. I go to school today. Whatever. I'm just trying to make it day by day. I don't even have enough money to know where I'm going to pay my bills this month. You're telling me about this guy, Abraham? What in the world does that matter to me? I don't care about that. 
you should. Because I'll tell you what, the reason Paul's telling us about Abraham is because Abraham found acceptance by God. And man's greatest problem is that he is not accepted by God the way he is by nature. The way you are, the way you're born into this world, don't you dare think you come into this world with God's big old smile on His face for you. What the Bible says is His wrath is against you. You are children of wrath by nature. Children of His wrath. You are not in a good place. Sometimes we look at children and we say, oh, they're so innocent. They're not innocent. They're children of Adam. They're fallen. The very mark of sin is on their forehead. They're in serious trouble. The reason Abraham is so important to you today is because Abraham is in heaven right now. And it's not because he was a good guy. It's not because he was a decent fellow. He's in heaven right now because he got there the only way any of us can get there. He got there by a righteousness outside of himself. He was made righteous, declared righteous by a righteousness earned by Jesus Christ and given to him. A righteousness he did not have. He was an ungodly guy. You say, how do you know that? Verse 5, Romans 4, 5 says it is God. He is the one who justifies the ungodly. He's talking about Abraham. Abraham received a righteousness as an ungodly man, unacceptable to God. He became acceptable because Jesus Christ earned a righteousness that God reckoned to His account. It's like He has this spiritual bank account. Christ has a spiritual bank account. Christ's account is full. Perfectly full. Perfectly kept God's law. Perfectly pleased His Father. The Son in whom the Father is well pleased. And everything about Him that was pleasing he took from his account and he put it in Abraham's account. And now Abraham is accepted and counted righteous before God. Now why is that so important? Because by the time you get down to the bottom of Romans chapter 4, all the way down, verse 23, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Now, wait, you have to ask yourself, what's the it and who's the him? The it is righteousness. The him is Abraham. Righteousness was counted to Abraham by faith. Not for Abraham's sake only. Verse 24. But for ours also. You see what he's saying? We can have the same thing Abraham has. It. Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised... The him, the him there is God the Father who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see why it's important? Because what Abraham has, you can have too. By faith. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Who is this righteousness for? Notice very carefully. It, the words, it was counted to Him, were not written for our sake alone, 
but for ours also, it will be counted to us. Here is this personal plural pronoun again. Counted to us. Who are the us? Everybody? Will everybody on the face of this earth have righteousness counted to them? It's only to who? Us who believe. Now look, in verse 25, who was delivered up. There you have it again. Isn't that exactly what we had over in Romans 8.32? God gave His Son up. Here He is, delivered up. For whose sins? Our trespasses. And who's the hour? Who does the hour refer to? Us who believe. And by faith we are justified. And when you get to Romans 5.1, who are the recipients of this whole thing? Who you find it in Romans 5.1? We, again, another personal plural pronoun. It's not us this time, but it's we and same group of people. And who are these we? The ones who have been justified. And how are they justified? By faith. And then he says, we, again, the same group of people, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is he at all implying that all people have the righteousness given to them by God? No. Only those who believe. Do all believe? No. Do all have peace? No. Only the ones that have peace are the ones who are believe and are justified by that faith. You go to 5.2. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 5.5. 5, God shows God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Look at Romans 5.8. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You, you start getting the idea. The us Christ died for are clearly the us from 5.1 who have been justified by faith. The ones in 5.1 who have peace with God. 5.2 obtained access to God who rejoice in hope. Who in 5.5 have had the love of God poured into their hearts. Who possess the Holy Spirit. Paul says Christ died for us. Look at the very next verse. Romans 5.9 We have now been justified by His blood. You see the we here and the us in the verse right before it are the same people. And who are the us that Christ died for? They're the we who have been justified by His blood. Now, like I said before, this is simple stuff. But it's so important that we develop this. Because now when you go back over to Romans 8, what do you find there? In Romans 8.32, you find that it's being said that God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Who are the us all? They're the ones from the verse right before it in verse 32. Or 31 rather. If God is for us who shall be against us 
And those are the ones who are referred to right before that in Romans 8.30. Look at Romans 8.30. Look at the very end. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. Who are these characters here? Those whom He justified. Folks, you have here the same group of people we had back in Romans 4 and 5. Do you see that? Again, it's those who are what? Justified. Are they not precisely the same people that Paul talked about back in Romans 5, 9? Aren't they? Certainly they are. They're the very same folks. Back there, it's we who have now been justified by Christ's blood. Over here in Romans 8.30, it's those whom God has justified. Paul says it a little differently both places, but they're the same justified people. The us in verse 32 doesn't mean anybody and everybody. It's the us who God foreknew. It's the us who are predestinated. It's the us who are called. It's the us who have been justified and will be glorified. Now look, this is important. Not all of those who God has foreknown have believed yet. Some of them haven't been born yet. But I can guarantee you this. Jesus Christ died for a select group of people and all those people are those who believe. They will believe. Maybe they haven't yet, but they will. They are the justified people. You know how we know this so certain? Because God foreknew these people and because He foreknew them, they were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. He foreknew them, He predestined them, so He absolutely, every time, calls them. He calls them, He justifies them. He justifies them, He glorifies them. Folks, they're in this, they're in this chain. There's no way out. These are the people. These are the people of God. And you know what? All you have to do is go one verse further than 8.32, and we have them given another title. Somebody tell me what that is? Romans 8.33? What are they called there? God's elect. You know what the word elect means? It means God's chosen. You know who Jesus Christ died for? God's elect. God's chosen. Now, folks, why does all this matter? That's what we need to ask. Now, some of you are saying, wait, what's the, what have I come to this morning? I've never heard this before. What's wrong with this church? Don't they know Christ died for everybody? What's the, what I'm asking you to do is really think about what the Scripture says. Not what our church says or the church down the street or the guy at the ball game or the, you know, wherever. I want you to think about what Scripture says. Paul is identifying a people that have been particularly chosen by God, foreknown by God, predestinated by God, and Jesus Christ died for us that fit that description. But why does this matter? Is this, you know, why do we even need to concern ourselves with this? So what if we say Jesus died for everyone versus saying He only died for those called God's elect? Does it really matter? I mean, isn't the most important thing to put forth Christ crucified to all men? Do we really need to concern ourselves with more than that? Now listen, listen, it's true we must offer Christ to all men. 
Our risen Savior has commissioned us to that task. Yes, we must assure all men that God is willing to save them. We saw it in Revelation 22, did we not? If you thirst, if you desire, if you will, come! We invite you to come. We bid you come. All who thirst can come and drink. All who hunger are told to come and eat. If you are burdened and heavy laden, we bid you to find rest. No matter your color, your size, your gender, no matter what wickednesses, no matter what sin, no matter what evil you have done in your past, He bids you come. He doesn't justify the godly, the good, the decent. He bestows righteousness to those who are ungodly. Look, if you're not sick, you don't need a doctor. Christ came to doctor on people. He came to help the broken and the backward and the wretched and the sinful. He will heal you. You say, how do I know He will? Just hear His words. One man came to Him one day, Lord, if You will, You can make me clean. What does He say? I don't. I hate men. I can't stand this. You're all a bunch of wretches. I don't want anything to do with you. He said, I will. Be clean. He not only invites you to believe, 1 John 3.24 says that God has given you commandment to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. You say, can I, but can I come? Can you come? God commands you to come. I mean, that ought to break down every barrier right there as to whether He'd have you come or not. Some people wonder that. Yes, the Bible teaches us that Christ died for God's elect, but don't you understand don't you understand exactly what we're saying here? It does say He died for His elect. But it also tells us that Christ died for the ungodly. If that description fits you and you desire to come, you're these people. You're the very ones. Don't try to reason all through this. The whole point is, He died for the ungodly. The elect of God didn't start out this life somehow different than all the rest of men. Somehow clean and pure and righteous. Look, He bids men come. If you will come, then you're these people He died for. Don't let that... All it takes is... You just come! But here's the point. You come to Him. You're trusting Him. You must. You must come. You must come now. Don't wait. Those who wait, perish. Trust Him. Trust Him now. Trust Him immediately. But here's the point. Here's the heart of the matter. Trust Him to do what? Save you a little bit? Save you somewhat? Save you sort of? The point is this. Does Jesus Christ really save those He died for? When a sinner comes to Christ in faith, what are they coming to receive? Does God only offer men a salvation that makes it possible for a sinner to be saved? Or does He really save the ones Jesus died for? Look, did Jesus die so that the best God has to offer you, the best God can say, is that I've done all I can. Now it's up for you, up to you. Or did Jesus die in order to guarantee 
absolutely everything that would be done in my behalf to secure my full salvation. That's critical, folks. That's critical. If, if you're having a hard time grasping my point here, let me try to say it another way. There are men, there are women, there are children. Children, you should hear that. In hell, right now, they've died in their unbelief. They died in their sins. And they are eternally damned. I ask you this question. Did Jesus Christ die for them? Paul clearly does not want us to think that. How do I know he doesn't? Just look at Romans 8.32. And remember how Paul is arguing here. Listen to this. If God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for you, how will He not freely with Him give you all things? It doesn't just say, oh, He becomes now willing to give you such things as maybe you ask Him for. It says, how will He? Paul's whole point is this. If He gives His Son for you, there is nothing holding back from absolutely guaranteeing that God will freely give you everything. That's the point of the text. If you tell me Jesus Christ died for the sins of someone now in hell, then you've just denied this verse to its very core. Paul's whole point is that if that Son is given to you, that guarantees He will indeed give you everything. Look, to say Christ died for a miserable damned soul is to say that God gave His own Son up for someone who instead of giving them all good things, did just the opposite of what the verse says. He cursed them, He rejected them, and He damned them. Paul's whole point is that when once the greatest obstacle of all is overcome, once the Son of God were given, once the supreme sacrifice is made, every other obstacle to your salvation is conquered. Everyone. The will of God to spare His Son for you showed His will with regards to all other things. Look, if you tell me Jesus died for those who are now in hell, You've just completely and totally denied Romans 8.32 right down to its foundations. And you've done this, one of two things. You've either made God out to be a liar or Paul out to be a false apostle. Because look, here's the thing. If He gave His Son up for you, how will He not also with Him freely give you faith? How will He not also freely with Him give you forgiveness? If you're forgiven, how can you go to hell? You can't. If it's paid for, look, you pay off your house loan. Somebody can't come to you later and expect you to pay it all over again. It's paid. If God gives you everything, if He will freely not hold back anything, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says repentance is granted, does it not? The Bible says that faith is a gift, does it not? It's granted, Philippians 1. Faith is granted. Repentance is granted. They come from God. Forgiveness is granted. It comes from God. A new heart is granted. It comes from God. The Holy Spirit is granted. It comes from God. My whole thing is this. What Paul's logic here is, God does this with His Son for you. The floodgates are opened. You're 
going to have faith. And you're going to have repentance. And you're going to have a new heart. You're going to have it all. You're going to have it all. You see, that's his argument. That's what this whole portion of Romans is all about. That's what it's all about. Oh, beloved, listen to me. Jesus dies for someone. If you say He died for everybody, what you're saying is He's died for someone. Because you're saying if He died for everybody, He died for those in hell. And what you're saying is this. You're saying Jesus died for somebody and somehow between that this person passing in off into hell, folks, something miscarried. Something did not pull this guy through. Something fell apart here. If that's the case, how can you and I ever be certain that God might save me at least start to and then miscarry and not bring me through to the end? I mean, if He's going to send His Son to die for one guy and not give him faith, how do I know that He didn't send His Son to die for me and though He gave me faith in the beginning, He won't keep me in the faith to the end? How do I know that He won't withhold perseverance from me? How do I know that somewhere there's not going to be a breaking apart of this whole thing? You see, folks, if you say that, you've just... Hit the gospel right at its foundations. Folks, he makes it all possible. The very purchase price, the giving of the Son by the Father, Paul is saying, Christian, look at that and see in it that if that's the case, you are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are not only conquerors, you are more than conquerors. Nobody can bring accusation. Nobody can come against you. Nobody can condemn you. You have this. Look, here's the thing. When Jesus Christ dies for you, He doesn't just make it possible to have your sins paid for. The fact He dies for somebody makes their sins paid. And if your sins are paid and God throws you in hell and makes you pay all over again, then God is unjust. And that would be the first time God ever was unjust. And We can just throw this whole thing away. None of it's good. None of it's true. None of it means anything. But look, if you're an unbeliever, the whole point here is we call you to put your faith in something that is certain. Not in something that's wavering and teetering and unstable. The death of Christ we want you to put your trust in didn't just make it possible for all people to maybe be saved. The death of Christ guarantees that if you trust Christ, you will definitely be saved. There is a certainty of full redemption. A certainty that you will overcome. You will conquer. You will more than conquer. You will arrive totally safe all the way at the end, victorious, and all totally resting on that truth that God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up 
for you. Boy, maybe you've wondered before. I hear, just believe in Jesus Christ. Some, some of you might be thinking, well, what am I supposed to believe? I mean, everybody says believe in Christ, believe in Christ. I, this is one of the reasons we have so many people going around today and they're so misguided. They say, I do believe Christ. And what they believe is that he was an actual historical figure. That's not what the scriptures mean. To say to trust in Christ, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, is right here to believe at the core of the matter that He died for your sins. You take that. The fact is, His Father raised Him from the dead to show that He accepted that payment. You can be certain of this. You can come to God through Christ and there will be access. You will be received. No other way. Only that way. But you can be certain of this and that's what Paul wants you to know. If you come by that way, God's going to freely give you everything. Nothing withheld. Amen. You're dismissed.